Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash style. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rating hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash style, as in peristyle. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash S-T-Y-L-E, ZipRecruiter.com slash style. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Sunday. Hey, we're talking on Sunday. What does that mean? There was some football on Saturday. Yes, the USC Trojan football season has begun. Trojans are 1-0, coming off a 43-21 win over University of Nevada, Las Vegas. We're going to talk about that win with the coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com. He just so happens to be the former head coach of the UNLV Running Rebels, so he'll have some unique insight into this game. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email, or if you want to call or text, the number is 424-254-9141. we got voicemails to get to, we got lots of emails, we got topics we want to discuss with the coach, so let's get into it. What's up, coach? How are you? Well, it's good. It's... uh after the game day, everybody's had a chance to sort of digest uh, what they saw. Uh, you have to think about it for a while and uh, and say, what did I see and what didn't I see? And I think it's a combination of both for me. And uh, I'll let you just uh, start off here. And I don't know where you want to go with it. If you want to start with JT Daniels, the offense, the defense, we can talk about red zone offense. We can talk about special teams, a tight end, how it's involved in the offense, or, hey, we've got a lot to talk about. Plus, I don't want to forget all of our callers in there and the email questions, too, because I could just start talking now, and you could put the phone down or whatever you're on and come back in about two or three hours, you know, and I'd still be going. That's I could see that happening, Coach, if i got to step out for a little bit. But we're not going to do that. Yeah, we'll, um, well, before we jump in, wanted to thank Southern California Tickets. I know some people contacted me, said they got their tickets to the game. From Southern California Tickets, you can go to SoCalTixTix.com or call them at 1-800-888-7287. Tell Curtis that the coach sent you and uh, they'd be happy to take care of you. Next home game is not for a couple of weeks. Friday night game against uh, Washington State. They got a pretty big win on the road against Wyoming that a lot of people thought they would lose that game. So that should be interesting. And, of course, a couple of road games with Stanford and Texas coming up. So if you need tickets for any of those, you can go to Southern California Tickets. Like they, like I said, they've been helping us out for many years. 
And coach, yeah, it's okay. We do got a lot of questions, but um, let's hit a couple of topics before we jump in there. Um, you know, I, maybe let's just start. We'll keep it specific. JT Daniels, freshman quarterback. What do you think? I really think he did a great job. Uh, but uh, for him to continue to have that type of job, he's got to be a magician. And he's got to be able to make plays like Sam Darnold. And if you watched him, they were the same type of plays. Uh, where you step out of the pocket, or you find somebody, and when he has time to throw, he'll uh, be pretty good. He never had time really to read the field. As far as going one, two, three, I'd like to see him read the field better, but there were some guys open that he could have hit. I was surprised that uh, there wasn't more separation in the receivers from the defensive backs at UNLV. Really didn't demonstrate a lot of speed in the receivers, and they dropped a few balls, but I think JT Daniels did a good job. He was calm. I think what UNLV may have done wrong, I'm not saying they did right or wrong, but they had great success early in the game by going after him, and you've heard me talk about that, giving him a lot of different looks and going after him and sacking him and not worrying about his running ability, but they got away from that later in the game, and I think that really hurt them. I thought the momentum of the entire first half was in UNLV's favor. Ten-point turnaround at the end of the half. UNLV misses the field goal, and that's three points. Uh, USC drives down and scores a touchdown, and there's ten points. It goes in at halftime, leading 19-14. But third quarter, no score. Fourth quarter, then USC, of course, did pull away and had some big plays. Brown's long pass and whatever. And they, uh, the score doesn't indicate the game to me when you look at the stats. And if you watch the game closely, it really didn't. But as far as JT Daniels is concerned, I thought that he did a great job under the circumstances. As far as uh, the red zone, uh, uh, there is no red zone offense as far as I'm concerned. It's all JT Daniels and receivers. And, uh, I, and to be honest with you, I didn't see anything different than what I've seen the last four years in the offense. We can go through that in detail and a little bit later. But I thought JT Daniels did a great job. I think Matt Fink, oh, he comes in to run the keep, and I don't think that's a big secret. They ran it twice, and I think they lost yards on both times they ran it. So I, I don't know the philosophy there on what's going on. But I keep saying all the time, you've got to be able to utilize your tight end more than a blocker because they don't block very well. I don't know if they caught a pass. You have the stats. I don't have those in front of me. But I don't know what tight ends do at, at USC. They're not involved in the offense. And I don't know if that has a lot to do with who coaches the receivers. He's the offensive coordinator and wants to have good morale. But you've got to move the football. and You've got to play running backs. You've got to have play-action pass. You've got to get to the outside to stretch the field. And I didn't see a lot of that. And What really disappointed me is the Renzo performance whenever – a guy kicks five field goals, that's great. Don't get me wrong, five for five and broke the school record and scored 15 points. I'd rather have him kick 15 PATs, okay? To me, that demonstrates the type of uh, domination you can have. You had a chance early in the game to blow the game wide open on the first play of the game. Port Augustine recovers a fumble, and you can't get anything but three points out of it. Now, that's, that's really, to me... Uh, depressing uh, and uh, I think that uh, you've got to do better than that I mean 
out of that series down there, wherever it was, I don't know what yard it was, two passes and one run. Uh, you've got to understand that when you're in the red zone, you've got to have that philosophy like I've been talking about. Nobody can stop us. And if you don't gain that confidence that you're going to run the football and be able to run the football down there and pound it a little bit, you just can't throw a fade every time. And what did we say last week? We haven't seen them work the run down in the goal line offense, so what did they do on the goal line? Through the football. But that's the only thing they've been practicing down there. So, you know, basically, J.T. Daniels, uh, what, what do you want to say? I thought as a freshman out of high school, I think he was fabulous as far as his cool and everything. I just wish he wouldn't wear his white hat on the sideline and in press conferences. You don't like that he wears a white hat, huh? Okay. No, I, he sees that in the NFL. He hadn't reached that yet, okay? Huh, all right. So you don't like the... Uh... I, I think I think there's too much demonstration, personally, on too much individualism on what you do and what you talk and who you interview and everything within the team. Uh you know, in the eating quarters after the game and everything else. I mean, everybody's giving their opinion on JT Daniels and their opinion on when they found out they were going to start and all these different things. I've got to think there's, I think it should be a little bit more control on who gets interviewed, where and what. And uh, you sort of bring it back a little bit and you worry about who are players to evaluate how, I, how the kids did. Yeah, they did a good job, but what do they know? they got to worry about what they're doing personally. All right. Well, that's what, what the coach thinks. And uh, I love that I asked you about JT Daniels and we got to talk about like the whole, the whole offense. So let's, might as well, let's get into the questions because there's a lot of them and we can touch on different um, subjects with the questions. Uh, the first one, you actually mentioned uh, Matt Fink in, going in there. I believe he had one. Carrie, I'll look at the stats and make sure, but we have a voicemail question on that. I'll play it for you. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. This one is for the coach. When they brought in uh, Matt Fink on certain packages and let him do the uh, cleanup work in the fourth quarter, uh, they set the defenses sat on the read option quarterback keep. So that means, like the coaches told us, if he just hands it to the running back on that read option, look, the running back is going to have more room to run because somebody's staying home to get the quarterback. And they need to let them pass if it's Jack Sears or Matt Fink because they're sitting on the run and the read option if they're in. They may not have as many pass uh, in their arsenal like JT Daniels, but they got a lot of dangerous receivers. Um, Curtis from Moreno Valley. Curtis, thank you very much. Yeah, you know, you've heard me say over and over and over with the offense that USC is running, the quarterback should be a second running back. Look around the country and you can see that. That normally there's an athletic individual who can run and be the second running back on the option, so it's not just once in a while and can be athletic. You saw it in Amani Rogers. I mean, what he does to the offense with what running back. As far as the way people were covered or the way he ran the football, scored a touchdown, now that's not the same offense, but close to exactly the same thing that USC is doing. And uh, it's the execution of what you need to do. And when Matt comes in, the first thing I think about, oh, they might run that play. The same thing they did in practice when I saw it. I see him run that little uh, option as far as when they attack the end, but they don't really run an option. They don't want the quarterback to carry the ball. They just toss it. It's just like an outside sweep of some type. I don't know 
how you, uh, when you're running laterally, you're really not making any yards. Well, you're supposed to be able to turn up right away or even run the quarterback straight up the middle. Uh, you've got, he's got to be a part of the offense, but Matt doesn't have that op- or that ability to do that. And I agree, uh, maybe he should have had an opportunity to throw the football. I don't call the plays. I don't know what they say. Maybe they didn't want to score again, whatever, but you've got to get your guys ready to play. I used to always feel this way. I'm not going to punish my players because you're not good enough to play with us. My guys have gone to camp. They've worked their tail off, and when they go in the game, I'm going to give them an opportunity to perform and to get ready in case we need him. So, uh, you know, that's just been my philosophy, and I think they should. Whenever you put a guy in the game, you don't put him in just to be there. You put him in to utilize his athletic ability and give him the experience that he can prove to all of us on film that he's worthy of playing. And I think that's what they should have done with Matt. All right. Um, another topic you brought up, and uh, we got a couple questions on this. You're talking about the tight ends, Coach. Uh, Percy wrote in, do we have tight ends that can catch? I'm not sure I saw one get targeted. Actually, one, uh, Eric Cromanoak had a catch for two yards, I believe. That's from Percy. And then Matt from Woodland said, if you're interested in playing college football as a tight end, why would you ever considering consider playing at USC? <laughs> so, what do you think, Coach? Well, I sort of... <laughs> Mentioned that a moment ago. Uh, they don't utilize them. They don't do mismatches. I don't know how many people watch the Stanford-San Diego State game or other games in the country this weekend. They're putting a six-six guy or a six-seven guy on a defensive corner. The guy, please, doesn't have much of a chance. One of Stanford's tight ends caught three touchdowns. The other one caught one. The kid out of Christensen out of Old Chris caught one, and it's just a mismatch. You can't do that. We talk about that. But USC is trying to play so many receivers. I guess it's from morale. I have no idea since T. Martin coaches them. But you forget the tight end in the offense. You just forget him. And I, I don't understand why when you have big, they're really receivers, big receivers and blockers. You know, a tight end to me, as I've told you before, is 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, 260 pounds. That if he catches the the the, the the medium routes, the, not down the field, but routes in the slaughter and uh, hooks. or uh, you, you need five yards, you put him out and curl him. How are you going to stop it? You know, and then you can't knock him down. So uh, they don't do that. Uh, they'd be better off. Uh, I don't know. They're not going to do that. That's why they don't have a short yardage offense in the running game, because they don't have tight ends that can block. you got to bring two tackles into the game to play uh, the tight end position to be able to block. And I'm not against that either. I'm not against putting the, the toughest man in the world at fullback and getting an eye. They did one play under center, one play, and they ran the little counter. Never did they get under center again. Uh, they, You know, these, these are the type of things that if you know football, and I respect all of our listeners that they know football or they wouldn't be listening to this, what are you trying to establish? I see the same identity in USC's offense that I've seen the past four years. There's not one new play. There's not one new thing. We've talked about this for four years about what we saw on Saturday. So, yes, it's always great to get that win, 43-21, to 21, but you just can't count on that type of you know performance 
when you're going to be going to Stanford and going to Texas. And I think both those teams are beatable. Now I think they're beatable after watching them, okay? I really believe that because Texas is not loaded. Texas is not what I thought they were, okay? And Stanford is not what I thought they were. And I love the way San Diego State played them. But USC has played great defense, and everybody's talking about their defense because they've been playing their offense. And anybody can be pretty good with what they're doing. They understand it. They see it every day. They know how to stop it because they know exactly what they do. So that's why they're playing great defense in practice. I want to see him play great defense in the games. 300 yards rushing against you, that's unheard of. Yeah, that was a little much. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to more about the defense soon. We're, we're going to stick with some offensive questions first. Uh, Percy also said, where was the run game in the red zone? So something else you brought up already, Coach. Can't win championships if you cannot run the ball in the red zone. And then we also had um, a question for you. What do you think about the no huddle style offense USC is running? Why would you want to? Sh- uh, why would you want to show your alignment before you get the play? Thanks, guys, and keep up the great work covering USC football. Well, you know, we've already touched on the red zone. They've always had difficult running the football down there because, like I talked about, they they don't practice it as far as and they're not tough to get on the line of scrimmage. I think the offensive line needs to get tougher and be able to establish their four and five stars ratings. You're this type of football player. Now, I know the UNLV roster, okay, and I know the players on their team, obviously, okay? They are great kids, and they work their tail off. But they're not coming out of high school with the ratings that these guys are. They're not the same. These guys are hard-nosed, work their butt off, play like hell, and have a lot of pride in who they are. And that's what the offensive line has got to have. They got to get down and talk to each other, and somebody's got to say, "Get off the football and play on the other side of the line of scrimmage and be who we are. We're USC. Let's dominate. Let's smash mouth people once in a while." Uh, the philosophy at USC is not smash mouth football, and it's not their philosophy right now. When they get in the red zone, they don't have the confidence that they can do that. So why do it, they think. So they think they got, they got a better chance of scoring through the air than, than doing what's necessary to when you get in the red zone and you have two downs to get three yards to have the confidence that you're going to be able to do that to get a first day down to continue to drive or score a touchdown when you're down there. They always say in the red zone the, the field closes down, okay? You don't have as much field to cover. So only, you know, it's not the same type of offense passing game-wise as it is in the middle of the field. So that's when you use mismatches. That's when you use your tight end. That's when you use play-action pass. But they believe you're going to run the football down there because you've demonstrated you will in the red zone. And that's where you make it more difficult on the defense you're playing. Yeah, I agree with you there, Coach. And the, the whole the field just gets tighter when you get to the red zone and you want to see a, a, a physically dominant team be able to do that. Kind of along those lines, Earl in West LA said, is it me or am I witnessing in a USC offensive line, another USC offensive line that's not ready to play in the first game for the third straight year? Well, we just covered that a little bit. I don't know if, you know, I, I, I never want to say they're not ready to play. A kid is always ready to play. And I'm not putting it on the kids, okay? The kids will do 
what they're told to do. But they've got to be more physical. I'm not saying, maybe I am saying that they're not being coached physical enough or they're not being taught physically enough or whatever. I don't know, okay? But they put the, the line where I can't even watch them in practice, okay? I have to have high-powered hunting binoculars to even see who's over there. But that that's that's great because that's their philosophy, and at least Coach Helton is the type of guy to let you get in practice. Now, over at UCLA, you can't watch practice, and I don't know what they're hiding over there. Because I don't know, I don't know if they'll win a football game the entire year from what I saw in the Coliseum and in the Rose Bowl. And nothing against all you Bruin fans, sixteen point dog, uh, and you, and you're going to Oklahoma next week. Are you kidding me? And how, how do you think Oregon's going to feel when Chip Kelly comes to Oregon, or they play Washington, or somebody? I will tell you what. Uh, you know, uh, that was a tough afternoon for the Bruins and maybe 40,000 in the Rose Bowl. Uh, if they, uh, I mean, I wouldn't want to go to Oklahoma. I'd take a white flag with me and surrender because I feel sorry for those freshman kids going over there. And, you know, Oklahoma's recruiting California. And whenever you recruit California, what do you want to do? Put on a show. Come and watch us. See what we do. Uh, have have visits, whatever you can do, you know. Uh, so I, I feel sorry for the Bruins right now. They're they're in tough shape. So to, to, we're not talking. This is not a Bruin show. No. A quick quick little side note. It's funny because we I do the Pac-12 podcast. You know the podcast of champions. There's certain schools that are very um, closed off to the media, and there's other schools that are a lot more open. And USC has just traditionally been one of the more open ones. You know, um, Arizona. Kevin Kasama comes in. He didn't speak. I think he spoke to the press like three times during fall camp, like like really nothing at all. Didn't you know they released a depth chart really late? All the stuff that they were just being super restrictive, and they got that terrible loss. Um, you know, same thing with UCLA closing things down. You can't go watch. Uh, you know, Chris Peterson at Washington's pretty closed off with stuff. He's, I mean, I think he's a little bit more open. That was a tough game. They played pretty well. Uh, you know, but, but losing that one. And oh, there was one more like in Arizona state, like, you know, Herm Edwards comes in, he's wide open. They played loose and free and um, they looked really good. Oregon state, they shut everything down. They used to be pretty open. And now Jonathan Smith, Jonathan uh, Smith comes in and he's more of the Chris Peterson kind of philosophy closed like everything. And they go out and give up 77 points to Ohio state without their coach. So I don't know, coach, maybe just keeping an open mind and, and being a little, you know, not making this like everything that you do is a trade secret and you have to take it to the grave. Uh, didn't, those teams didn't seem to fare so well this weekend. Well, you know, there's different philosophies that you have. And if you're winning, it works. If you're not doing so well, it doesn't work. And then people do uh, or make conversation like I just did. And I apologize to you Bruins for, for talking like that. But, you know, uh, I've had experiences on a couple of things there that uh, they're not real cooperative on certain things when you ask them to be a part of something. And I'll give you an example. Clay Helton spoke at the Pasadena Quarterback Club on Friday. You were there, Ryan. There must have been 200 people there. It was absolutely fantastic. In fact, we pre presented him with a crystal ball. And I, I looked at you, and you were smiling, because he uses that term a lot on, at press conferences. I, I don't know who's going to start because they don't have a crystal ball. Right. So we gave him one, so now he's <laughs> able to know 
a little bit more about the team. But here he comes 24 hours before the game to speak to the alumni and people at at uh, passing the quarterback club, and it was fantastic. I invited Chip Kelly to come on a bye week, a bye week, okay? And uh, he refused to come. Now they play in Pasadena. They use the Rose Bowl as their home field. The Tournament of Roses is there and all that. He didn't come. Now, uh, he says, I don't do that type of stuff. And if you read the Times article, he's, you know, he's a loner. That's fine. Do what you want to do. But I think there's a responsibility to the university and the fans who pay money to go and support the kids that you coach. So that's why I had that little hang up there and, and uh, said what I did. But I apologize. But again, I want people to know I think there's a responsibility as a head football coach to the fans and the athletes. Yeah, you know, a place like Arizona where you you got to try to create some positive buzz with the whole Rich Rod stuff and you just don't talk. I, I don't know. I don't agree with it. I don't think you have to be as open as USC is a lot of times. And even USC's, you know, closed down more. But, man, when you act like it's uh, you're, you're, the, you're running the CIA instead of a college football program, it just, it just bothers me. Um, here's one from Tarek, Coach. Should JT Daniels be allowed to audible at the line of scrimmage? Well, I, I would think you should. I think that's part of football. I, if you're going to run into the strength of a of a play, a, a defense, uh, you better get out of it. Why would you want to waste a play? Uh, I think you 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 know you have your signals or you audibleize and you have your reads and do different things. But that was part of football. We had it thirty years ago when I coached. We always audibleized or we didn't even call a play in the huddle. We just call a formation. And we'd say it's run or run from a formation, and the quarterback went out and saw exactly what the defense was, and we had a run designed for each defense, and we audibleized to it and ran it. We had a live color. The guy would call that color, and away we went. Same thing with a pass with a formation. We'd set the, def- set the defense and what we wanted to see, and then we'd throw our pass. Uh, they've got away from all of that. A lot of teams have gotten away from all of that. I'd... I don't see why. I don't see the quarterback walking up and, and walking along the line of scrimmage, saying different things and changing the play like you do in other programs. Yet I know that he's a young player, but I didn't see Sam Darnold do that much either. And now he's going to be starting in the NFL, so he has the definite, definitely has the ability to do that. So I think that's part of it, and I think that's called coaching. I think that's getting someone prepared. It's not the number of plays you have. It's how you execute those plays. And I say that over and over and over, that it's execution on the offensive side of the football. And we're talking offense here in the first part of this uh, podcast. So it's execution, and I think that's something you have to do. You have to teach your quarterback and your team why you're running a certain play. And if that, that play doesn't work and they give you a different defense, there's a different blocking scheme, or you get away from it. You can't run every play against every defense. It just doesn't work. Don't sit there and stare at the blackboard, but you cannot block it. There's four on your three, so it doesn't work. So uh, that's that's. I agree with him. I think there should be, as he moves along, this kid can do about anything, and I think he's going to be a great player. We had George, a.k.a. the G, said, granted, we have a true freshman quarterback and a relatively young roster. However, why does this team continually look unprepared against the competition and struggles on both sides of the line of scrimmage? 
Never mind the 25 or 26 points that we were favored to win this game. Our guys made the Rebels look good on offense and defense. Explosive plays continue to haunt us. Our red zone offense seems, well, impotent. What gives? Coach, please provide some clarity as to why these are persistent problems uh, if, in fact, you view them as a problem. We talked about a bunch of those, but that's from the G. Well, yeah, well, you know, I expected the defense to dominate more. Let's get to the defense okay, side yeah. a bit. To, Sounds good. To Feely, he made one play. I mean, he came across, did it, used the swim technique, got in the backfield and made a hell of a play. Okay, that's what you're supposed to do. I, I didn't see many of those. I didn't see guys playing on their side of the football much. Uh, that means either they had one heck of an offensive line or the defensive front of USC isn't what it's supposed to be. Uh, I didn't see a, a lot of, 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 of domination uh, as far as up front. Now, yes, uh, well, they only they had 400 yards, 401 yards, uh, whatever they had, 500 and some or whatever it was. But, you know, giving up 400 yards is a lot of yards. And like I mentioned, the momentum of that football game for three quarters, I thought, was UNLV. I really did. Time of possession was 31 minutes, I think, to 28 minutes. So it wasn't like, and that's USC in, in, in favor. So it was an even football game. Uh, UNLV uh, uh, did what it did and did what it did as good as it could do and damn near pulled off a win. And uh, But USC should not be playing that close to a team that was a 28-point underdog at the beginning when the line first came out and then went to, you know, 26. It was game time. I think it was 25 and a half or whatever. Not that I'm telling you you're betting on the game or anything, but I'm saying domination. When you have five field goals, you should have scored three touchdowns out of those field goals. That's 21 points, okay? Now you're dominating and people are saying, I love what went on out there. We got a chance. We're getting better. But I didn't see anything improve over uh, the past, I didn't see anything better than what I saw against uh, Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. I didn't see real domination when they, everyone has talked during the offseason, we're going to run the football and we're going to be tougher and big, bigger and more physical. I didn't see that on either side of the line. Now, I might be blind, and if I am, I'll admit it, I'm blind, and I don't have a tape of the game to watch over and over and over. But domination is domination. If you want to watch domination, watch Auburn against Washington and their defensive line. Wow. I tell you, the offensive line of Washington today, is, they're all five in the hospital. Uh, <laughs> they're not really. But, man, I'll tell you what. I mean, that is something. Yet, Washington almost won that game. They missed a field goal. And, uh, and they were up 16-15 but couldn't hold on and represent the Pac-12, and we talked about how important this game was for the Pac-12 and national recognition, and it would have been great if they were able to win that game. Yeah, uh, they played tough, though. So if they got blown out, I think you could really write off the Pac-12, but it was it was a competitive game. They were winning late, so I don't think it, you know, obviously it's better no, for the Pac-12 to win. But, um, got to get that W. The Pac-12 has got to get some of these Ws. Yeah. It wasn't a very good week. We have a question about that coming up. But um, Matt uh, wrote in. He said, for my count, it looks like USC had 26 different players make tackles. 26. 
Is that some kind of record? Um, I don't know if it's a record, Matt, but you are right. Uh, according to the statute, 26 USC players. It was pretty evenly distributed. Cameron Smith, who you would expect to lead the Trojans, did that with seven. He's tied with Isaiah Polamau, who made his very first start, very first college experience playing. And uh, he had seven tackles as well, along with that forced fumble on the very first play of the game. So uh, that was interesting for him. Um, but yeah, it goes all the way down. CJ Pollard came in and had a, uh, pass the breakup and he had a, a, an assisted tackle, um, you know, at the bottom of the list, like a Ruben Peters, uh, you know, who's a walk on or was a former walk on and was a fullback. And now he's a linebacker. He had a tackle. So yeah, it's up and down the line. And, and you mentioned that uh, Jay Tufeli coach, he only had one tackle in the game. Uh, it was a sack, but that was his only tackle of the game. Um, so yeah, up and down the, the roster, there are 26 different Trojans and they rotate a lot of guys. It's not just the scrub time stuff. They rotate a lot of guys like early on. So I, I think that's why you saw so many guys get tackles. Well, I really think it's great that you're able to play a lot of guys. I really do because you want to be able to, uh, get your players ready to play. But I think again, too, you've got to prepare your team to be ready to go a full game with your best against a team like Stanford or Texas or Notre Dame. I watched Notre Dame last night. I know I don't know how you guys feel, but they're definitely in my top ten in the country. They they really are. They're big. They're strong. They play good defense. Uh, I, I, I really think they're a good football team. But that's down the road. That's too far away to talk about. But, uh, uh, you know, I just uh, I want to be positive. But yet again, I want to be honest. There were good things that happened, and there were some things I, I say, why? What's this? Why did they do that? Why haven't we got better at this? Or like special teams. Uh, I thought we had some nice special teams, but then a fake punt and coming out of the end zone when you can fair catch it, yet Carr runs one back. That's great. Average 20, what, 1 or 28 yards for four punts. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, this is USC. I mean, hell, I'd get a kid in Pop Warner to do that. And this, these kids are on full scholarship. Hey, kick the ball, son. Do what we need to do to get field position. Know the rules and know where you are in the field when you can fair catch it and get the ball in the 25. These are simple things that in big football games, you've got to be able to execute. And as Coach Helton said, we got to work on these things and clean it up, he says. Well, that's what the first game is for. You make these mistakes, you clean it up, and next week you better be ready to go because, against Stanford, they're going to be ready to go too up there, and one team's going to be in first place and one team's going to be in last place. Yeah, uh, and I agree with you, Coach. And we didn't really have a special teams question, but always a concern for me. Last year continues to be a concern this year. Even that big play where Valus Jones came around and, uh, and had a couple really nice blocks, that wasn't the design play. Stephen Carr backed up and caught that ball where he probably shouldn't have. It should have been the you know the return of behind him's ball. So it's kind of a broken play that turned into a big play. Um, really, a lot of the scripted or the stuff that was supposed to happen didn't work very well. Uh, giving up a fake punt, uh, you know, like you said, a couple of short punts. There there's penalties on on special teams. I think overall the penalties were pretty good, but there's just too many of those mistakes on special teams where you're not getting. You're not executing. You're punting the ball. You're trying to pin the other team back or, or flip the field, whatever it is, change field position. And USC wasn't doing that. 
Um, I thought Tyler Vaughn's had a couple nice punt returns, but both, again, he caught one on the three. Like he probably should have returned that one. He did. And it was like a 28 yard return. Like, okay. Um, but as much time as they spent on special teams, it just didn't seem like it was, it was clicking there. It wasn't, it wasn't working as cleanly as you would like. And every, you know, every once in a while, a, a, a special athlete makes an individual play, but it's not like the scheme has helped it, this happen. Yeah, that's a, that's unexcusable. I mean, uh, that isn't. I would show that to the whole team. Yeah, uh, that's that's. These are the things that'll get us beat, guys. I would probably, probably, you know. And I've done this before. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's my way of coaching. You're required. You're on full scholarship. We brought you here because you're intelligent, first of all, and you love football. And I would make reels up of uh, great plays in the game, and then I'd have them make reels up of the plays that are going to get us beat. And I'd show them to the whole team. I say, hey, guys, we won this game, but let me show you this role, this wheel now. This happened. That happened. This happened. What happened on this play? Thank goodness that, that he didn't catch the ball. And we'd show all these things because really the way you get better is not being negative but showing what we're not doing right so that we can correct it. If you listen to Nick Saban after his win last night, 51-14, to 14, he was upset. Yeah. Mad. He was upset and mad at the way his team played because of the breakdowns that he saw on the field. Now, this is why Alabama is who they are. He was not satisfied. He's not going to answer any more questions about who's going to start and what quarterback's this, and he can't wait to get a staff. I know today, or maybe last night, they had a staff meeting to find out why guys were running free, why this happened, why that happened, and those coaches better take it back and relay it to the players, or they're not going to be around. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that same type of thinking thinking should be at programs like USC. Hey, coach, I forgot we had another offensive line voicemail question. Do you mind if we play this one real quick for you? I know we kind of got yeah, off that, but sure, all right, sure. it's a voicemail. I wanted to play it for you. Here you go. Hi, Ryan. This is a, a question for Coach Harvey Hyde. I'm going to be curious to hear his assessment of the O-line play at UNLV. And I wondered what impact you would expect when you have a change at center and you end up playing a brand-new center who's never had a snap before. Look forward to his analysis. Thanks, Ryan. John from Beaverton. Well, let me tell you, first of all, I thought the kid did a good job at center. His snaps were good. His snaps, I, normally I'll tell you, hey, poor JT had to look for the snap every down. Look for the snap every down. You know, you have to be nervous when you play a game. Even Cameron Smith in an interview said, I was nervous. All the other players said, I was uptight. I was nervous. In the first game of the year, you're nervous. You're uptight. And he just found out probably, I think, on Thursday, I think he said that he found out he was going to start. Of course, he's excited about starting that and adds to the anxiety. And then uh, knowing and making the calls and recognizing the defenses uh, in, in a starting position in an opening game of the year in the Coliseum is heavy pressure on you because the center is the one that starts the whole thing. Would recognize the defense getting off the football and also snapping the ball to the quarterback. So I think that he did a great job in doing that. Uh, me, if I would have been playing him, I'd have probably shifted down or ran some defenses, a little bit more three down guys, and I'd have put a guy on his nose. 
and I tried to see just how tough he is and see if I can disrupt him a little bit uh, because of the fact that he's a new starter in the game. Uh, but, you know, that's me. That's not a Pentagrass or anybody, Clancy, that, that's going to do that because I'm sure Clancy had the confidence in his defense that he could go in there and play them pretty straight and win this football game. I know he had that confidence and not show much, and I think he did that. He did. He does more in practice and blitzing than studying and doing all those things that he does yesterday. He does it against his own offense. So, uh, yeah, I thought the kid did a good job. I don't have the film as far as evaluate it, and it's impossible for me to watch every single player. But I noticed one thing, Ryan, and I'm going to ask you this: Did Rector play at all? Number. 89. Did he play it all in the game? Uh, yeah, Christian Rector was in there. Uh, let me see if he had. Uh, I don't see. I don't see him with uh, any tackles. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you call his name, but yeah, I, I, I almost sure I saw him out there. Um, we can check yeah, with Shaka. I, I sort of see. missed him. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't see him as having any tackles. At least, like glancing at this uh, sheet right now. Um. Okay, right. but I would think uh, I didn't see him one as much, and I was just wondering if he did play, and if you saw him out there, he played. Uh, yeah, I, I thought I did. Let me. I'll check with Shotgun for sure because he charts everybody uh, that's going in and out. So, um, Steven San Diego said, uh, Coach Hyde, we haven't seen enough of the body of work from Clay Helton to know if he's not the long-term answer for USC. He talks about being physical and run first, yet we practice slow and, and throw 70% of the time. It takes an on-field uh, conversation with his AD after the disappointing scrimmage to get him to go just two days of physical practice. After those two days, we go right back to normal clay, the soft practice schedule on a game week, no less. Coach Held is one heck of a nice man. I respect him for guiding us through some dark days. I also don't think it's a great thing to dis displace a coach and his family because he, is, uh, because he has been terminated. However, we have seen enough of this tenure at SC to make an honest ass assessment. A zebra cannot change its stripes. Uh, he really does not believe in being physical or run first. Coach Hyde, do you believe Clay Helton is the long-term answer for USC? Have we not seen enough of this unprepared team wasting talent and potential year after year? Wow. Steve in San Diego. After a win, no less. Well, Steve, with Steve in San Diego, I introduced Clay Helton. And, Ryan, you can tell me if I said this or not. As far as I'm concerned, I hope he's the head coach at USC for 20 years. But as a head coach, too, Coach if something is letting you down and it's not happening uh, the way you want it to happen, then you've got to be able to make the necessary changes, too, for the good of yourself as the head football coach and for the program. And you've got to do that. Myself, if I was the head coach today, I would call in my offensive coordinator and I'd sit him down. I'd say, now, this is what we're doing and this is what we're not doing. And you get it down and get it done. And do this, and I want to see it happening immediately. You And when you get this done, you bring it to my office. And I want to okay everything we're doing against Stanford and in practice this week as far as formations, red zone, every other thing that we have, goal line, so I can approve it. Now, Clay Helton's responsible to be everywhere, okay? But he's got to take the time now to spend some time on the X and O's. And if someone isn't going to do what the head coach tells them to do, then it's time that the head coach is the offensive coordinator. And I'm not trying to say one way or another, but that's what you have to do because you have to recognize what your weaknesses are 
and what you're not getting done as far as for your program in the same way on the defensive side of the football. You have the response, or the special teams, or in the training room, or in the nutrition that you're eating, or whatever. You set the level of standards of what you accept and what is your level of expectations of your coaches in the weight room, everything they do, recruiting, whatever. And you have to take that responsibility. So uh, I'm not... I'm not at all uh, trying to push a change at all. All I'm saying is if you recognize as a head football coach what is not happening on either side of the football or special teams, it's your responsibility to make sure it's done right, the way it's supposed to be done, and you are the one that has the knowledge to tell them and the responsibility and the correction of it so we don't sit around or expect certain things or go to a press conference and tell us, you guys don't know what you're talking about. We're doing what we want to do, so that's the way it's going to be, one or the other. All right, we've got a couple more, Coach, and we'll let you go. Uh, Keith in New Jersey, he said first, could the Pac-12 have had a more horrendous uh, and co- of a collective week one? Uh, I'm the fool a few weeks back who was in panic mode over Arizona, by the way. I'll shut up and uh, I'll shut up on that one for the time being. Yeah, I thought Arizona was going to be good too, and they did not look good yesterday. They kind of, look like they put shackles on Khalil Tate last night, coach. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I saw it. Let me, let me come on that, comment okay. on that. Two weeks ago, someone asked me and they were telling me about this big trip to, San, uh, to Tucson and what a, oh, this is the game the, the Trojans have got to look for. Oh my gosh! Better watch out, watch out for that game. And I said, and I and I just ask you, if you wanted to be a head coach at Arizona or USC, what job would you take? I'd take the USC job. I don't know what you guys might do out there. Why should that be a job? Why should that be a game that the Trojans can't go down there and kick some butt? All they talk about is one player. Well, stop that one player. Now they have a nice little running back. They got a lot of three stars running around. But what did BYU do? They lined up, ran the football from under center, maintained ball control where they didn't have the football, and kicked their butt physically and went home. That's what they did. That's exactly what they did. And at the end of the game, they made a run at it. But they just physically dominated the football game, and they didn't know what to do about it, Arizona. They didn't know what to do. So they didn't win that football game. In fact, I was telling you, I said, please. I mean, there's no, there's so much. They've never been to the Rose Bowl. I mean, they're a great program as far as a nice school and nice kids and all this and that. But when USC has to start sweating playing those guys, you know, please. <laughs> you know, you got it. You're expected to win certain games, aren't you, Ryan? Aren't yeah. you expected to win whether they're home, on the road, or you play them in Alaska? Who cares where you play them? That's the philosophy you have to have in a football program. If you're going to play, and they're going to open against Alabama next year, okay? Well, if you're going to open against Alabama next year, then you better start making some changes, or else it's going to be not fun. I think that's two years, right? 2020? Is it two years? Yeah, okay, I think so. two years. 
Yeah, well, Good. And you could argue I'm that the, Ari- the Arizona game could be even more of a trap game now that they lost because now that you're going to overlook them even more. But, yes, you're right. Um, trap keep- game. There shouldn't be any trap <laughs> games. You don't take anybody for for granted. I mean, you don't take anybody for granted. And like you mentioned, you know, Washington State, yeah, they're a good football team. Yeah, they win their games. They're supposed to win. But come on, guys. Yeah, they Get look- after it. They look pretty good with the transfer quarterback in there. Um, and Keith also wanted to know, oh, yeah. should we be concerned, like I've been since fall camp, that wide receivers not named Amon Ross St. Brown may start to feel disenfranchised if the ball predominantly is only going to one guy? I do admit I was not 100% on board with Daniels getting the job. And if things go south, I fear a divided locker room. They're human beings after all. I, I mean, real quick, I think he tried to throw it to Vaughn's and Pittman quite a bit. He got you know, uh, Trayvon Sidney involved. Um, but for whatever reason, and I think sometimes there were drop, there were drops for sure, but there was also passes that just weren't really like where you expect a receiver to make a catch. And I didn't see that a lot, to be honest in practice, but in the game, it certainly Tyler Vaughn's and JT Daniels just didn't seem to be on the same page. So I, I wouldn't expect that to be a big thing. It's not like he didn't throw it to those guys at all. He just couldn't connect with those guys. No, and right. Let's give UNLV some credit. Did you see that anybody wide open? No, that's true. I didn't true. see they, anybody yeah. wide open. And you know, I, I, think, mean, I said that was going to happen, too, like that they might cover Vaughns and Pittman and try to take that away, and you could see a huge game out of St. Brown, and that, that, that happened. Yeah, and they, they, they tried to throw the ball, and, and you know, they didn't have much of a window to throw the ball through and get to him. Not even, He didn't have any agenda of, throwing the ball to Brown. He's going to throw the ball to whoever's open, but what I did see, he always singled out who he was going to throw to and never looked at the field. He definitely had one-man routes in his mind. Now, I don't know if they're called that way or he felt that's what he should do, but, uh, like, you know, and, you know, and, <laughs> and it's, it, it just, it just, you know, who cares who scores touchdowns? Just win the football game. Eventually, they'll have to cover people, and other people will be open. It's the ego part of it that ruins a football team. You can't worry about how many catches everybody are getting. You got to throw the ball where you're going to win the football game, and 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 get it done. I mean, everybody's worried about uh, catching the ball. I only caught seven balls, which he caught. I didn't catch a ball. What am I going to do about? It? I'm going to vote power. I'm going to go play in my sandbox, and I'm going to do this and that. Hey, you won a football game, son. We all did. And sometimes you need to have a team meeting on it, and you got to understand that I'm tired of having locker room lawyers around here. We're all part of the team. You've got to cheer for the team. We're not trying to worry about what the stats are. We're trying to worry about what the score is and what the wins are. And I'll tell you, that's what you have to have, not a bunch of individuals. But you got to have a lot of teammates. We got one last one for you, Coach uh, Daniel from LA. He said he wants he wants our thoughts on Sam Darnold getting his first NFL start on Monday Night Football. Talk about being thrown into the bright lights early, huh? What do you think about that? Well, I think it's fabulous. I'm happy for him. I think he's a great kid. I always thought he was the number one guy coming out. I don't know what the Browns were thinking about. Yes, yep. Baker, I think, is, has really had a great camp. I really do. I think he proved to me one thing. He's better than what I thought he was, okay? 
and I'll admit that. And uh, but you got to worry about the question. The question was Sam Darnold. I'm so proud of him. I hope he has a great win. And what's happened to me now is I've become a Jet fan. Uh, before I wasn't a Jet fan. I'm really not a fan of any NFL team. And I live in LA. I like football. But now when certain kids play with certain teams or some of my coaches coach with certain teams, I become a fan of that team because I want to see success for someone who did so much for the University of Southern California. You want to keep cheering on for him to continue that success. All right, Coach Harvey Hyde talking about USC and UNLV. Uh, great stuff. It's always fun. We could talk about actual games, Coach. We didn't talk about a scrimmage or a practice or some workout or something. This was an actual game we got to see on the field. So it was always it's fun for me. So I hope you enjoyed it, too. Well, I, I always enjoy it. I always enjoy it. And, again, I want everybody to know that, you know, that my, I'm just giving you my opinion. If you say you don't know what you're talking about, I say you're exactly entitled to say that, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of people say that when I coached, okay? <laughs> but, again, I really I enjoy it. And, and as I said earlier, I think Coach Clay Helton's the best. I said also I'd love to have my son play for him because he's the type of guy that should be a great football coach, and he needs a lot of support around him to get it done. All right. Well, that's the Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow me at Inside Troy. We got lots coming up. Uh, we're doing a live show. We should podcast it too on Sunday. Uh, this is Sunday today, but this evening at 7 p.m. Pacific. So if you happen to listen to this before that, um, you can tune that in. But we'll uh, you can check out on uscfootball.com too. But uh, we'll have our Pac-12 podcast coming up, a bunch of other shows. So lots to get to this week uh, heading into the Stanford game. So hope you guys all enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.